humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh, the Humanities and the Social Sciences, the hashtag Hashtag podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Meredith Ebbs about STEM and how you can integrate it with Hass. I'm joined by uh, Meredith Ebbs in this episode. Thank you for joining us, Meredith. Thank you for having me. Um, I'd like to start with a, a, an introduction about yourself, your role in education. Okay, so I've got quite a varied education background. I've been trained in primary education, but I have a science degree. Uh, I have a, my, my postgraduate was in adult education, and I worked extensively in adult education also in my early career. And while I've been teaching, I've also taught secondary. So I've I've taught taught K to twelve plus adults. Okay, fantastic. And um, and oh, you know, I'm, I know everyone's got favourites, but you probably shouldn't ask it. But which one did you sort of prefer? Um, prefer teaching? Um, well, I actually like teaching adults, but um, I think I'm probably more comfortable teaching primary because that's where the majority of my experience is. But I really like the challenges involved with secondary where you can really um, get engaged with the students on a different level and a more adult level. So, yeah, I think each of them has um, something about them that I like, which is probably why I'm still working in the K-12 sector and still working in adult education. Okay, great. Um, so, look, in this episode, I wanted to look at um, at STEM um, initially and then uh, move on to how we can integrate STEM with Haas. Um, so we'll start with STEM. So if you'd like to tell the listeners, you know, what is STEM, but more importantly, I guess, what it isn't, sort of clear up any misconceptions about what what STEM is and isn't. All right. So the acronym everybody knows is Science, Technology, Engineering and math, Maths. Uh, if you want, you can put art in there as well, but I think people shouldn't get caught up on the acronym. I think it's more about the pedagogy of what we're doing. Um, and I think STEM falls into when you're teaching a subject, if you're if you're approaching your subject area and incorporating the one of those areas, one or more of those areas into your ed- area of its expertise, you're integrating STEM. So if you're teaching history but you're using drones and you might be looking at the maths of where the drones latitude and longitude of mapping and all sorts of areas, then you're starting to incorporate STEM into your history subject area. So it's not just about science and maths it's about every area changing the way we teach so that we're having engaging interesting subject areas that are hands-on and real world that that to me is what stem is what stem isn't is textbook (laughs) stem isn't just focusing building bridges with kebab sticks and marshmallows and saying we're doing engineering without actually going into the the theory behind why we're building those bridges and talking about the engineering and the maths around the structures. So it's making sure we actually attack the theory and philosophy behind what we're doing as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so it's not it's not a standalone subject, you know, on a student's timetable where, oh, look, period three, I've got, I've got STEM, I'm going to head off. It's something that that is, you know, um, integratable. In every, in every subject, really. It is definitely, yeah, it definitely needs to be integrated. And the idea of having a STEM day shouldn't be tick a box. 
and the idea of employing an external business to come in and do coding for a term, that is ticker box. That is not teaching and integrating STEM. And if you look through the Australian curriculum and the state curriculums that are not implementing um, Australian curriculum, such as New South Wales, if you look into those, what we're actually focusing on is we're focusing on a pedagogy of changing the way we teach where it's more, more real world, more hands-on and um, teaching computational thinking, you know, the problem solving around yeah. why does it happen that way. I'm going to go back a second. The, the, actually, companies, external companies come into schools and, and teach coding, do they? Is that a thing that happens? That is a thing that happens. So okay. some sc- I, I understand why schools would like that because yeah. – that would for schools that don't have any teachers that have those skills or they feel not confident to to have those skills i can understand and see why there is a demand for that because they're still exposing their students to coding and that is great but it's really crucial that the teacher sits in on those classes and doesn't just babysit and actually actively does the activities with them so they can upskill because it's in in the curriculum it requires us to teach algorithms and computational thinking and digital technologies from compulsory from k to eight electives in stage five so um it's really crucial that teachers upskill to cover this if it was a maths curriculum or if it was a english curriculum we would definitely be upskilling our teachers so it's really crucial that every teacher gets exposed to digital technology so they can implement it in an interesting and relevant way in their faculty or subject area. Would, would you say that, um, that I guess, I guess the, the, the new generation of teachers that are coming through um, at the, uh, out of uni, um, you know, last year, this year, the, you know, the, this, kind of, um, uh, this kind of wave of new teachers um, having sort of grown up with around technology um, as they were, you know, from when they were kids, do you, do you think that's making it easier or harder for them to to um, to to know what they're doing? I guess in that digital technologies, um, you know, sphere. Um, I would like to think yes, but my experience has said otherwise, based on the prac teachers and the pre-education teachers, pre-teaching area I've seen. Um, yeah. Some universities are doing a great job in exposing them. Uh, pre-service teachers to digital technologies others haven't quite started that program yet so I think it's a mixed bag and I think ultimately it comes down to um, it comes down to attitude and the attitude of I really would like to um, learn that and I can learn that so I'm going to give it a go so it comes down and that is relevant of how long you've been teaching it comes down to you can be teaching for one year, you could have been teaching for 15 or 30 years. If you've got the attitude, I'm going to give that a go, and if the lesson fails, quick fail and try again, that's the attitude that's going to bring STEM into the classrooms because it is new. And microbits, makey um, makeys, Ozobots, Vero's, all these technologies, pre-service teachers didn't have exposure to those when they were at school either. So it's new for them too often um, and my experience has been when I've ran, run pre-service teacher training, they are just have the same mixed reaction that you have in a regular staff room. Some love it, some are not sure, some think they'll never do it. Yeah, look, I'm, um, funnily enough, I'm actually I'm, I'm 
set up on my um, the desk in my study recording this. And right next to me, I've got a box of little bits, a base kit, a ten bit module set that I um, I won at a um, at a PD day, and it's still sealed because I'm a bit scared to uh, to crack it open and have a go because I feel like I've actually got no idea what I'm going to be doing. Oh, no. It, it comes with a booklet. So open it up, do all the little projects in the booklet and go to the Little Bits website. Just you just got to have a go. And if, you know, if you've got a 10-year-old nephew or a 10-year-old niece, you, you've got friends with kids, pull them in, take them into school. <laughs> yeah. So the kids are great. Like I've got Spheros on my desk and last week I got my kids to build rafts and I said you have to have a competition to see who can get the Sphero from one side of the pool to the other. And so it was interesting to see the three totally different types of rafts that the three of us made. And my kids are 11, 14, and myself, we had a competition. Um, very interesting to see the different designs and the ideas that came out of it. And we they had never done that before, but more than happy to have a go. Yeah. So the, the, the so, bottom line is don't be scared, just, just have a go. Just have a go. Really? And, and, you, you mean, you, you can't break, you, you can't really, I you mean. Can't, you can't break you can break them, but. You know, I'm sure they're um, you know, they're built to um, they're built for people to to, to experiment on, and you know, yeah. don't be scared to, to have a go. The tra- fragile part about little bits is the cords that join them, but because they're magnetic, yep. they only clip together one way. And for Hass, little bits are great because you can animate your dioramas. So if you're building models or dioramas of different things, you can actually, there's a little servo often comes in the kit, which is a a motor with a rod that sticks out the side that turns left and right. Yeah. And I saw at a conference somebody had attached a boat, just a paper boat, to that servo and then put it in behind some waves and then when you turned it on, the waves and the boat moved. So it made it look like the diorama was animated. Oh, great. Yeah, so it's a really great thing. Just crack it open and, and go through the little problems in the book. I think the biggest problem with technology isn't learning the technology. That's the first step. I think the biggest problem is coming up with relevant, um, coming up with relevant and real projects. That Yeah, it's doable. a pedagogy first before the actual... You yeah. know, before the technology, really. So there's so there's two parts. You know, there's the PD around learning to use it, but there's also the PD around project ideas and how am I going to integrate that into my classroom? And it, it does take a while. Like it took took me quite a while when I was introduced to a makey makey. It probably sat on my desk for twelve months. Nobody was using them. It was we, um, my boss got it on a Kickstarter sat on my desk. I had no idea what to do with it. And because it was so new, there was no project ideas. But now put one behind a poster, put one on a game, put it inside um, a, a cardboard skeleton, and all of a sudden you've got interactive models and games that you can use in any subject area. Well, we'll, we'll just bet off. I think we'll, we can move on to the sort of the second section, which is a STEM, um, a STEM fatigue. So, so in terms of... of STEM fatigue, and um, I'm I'm not going to lie. This is something that I, I think I suffer from a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I'm I'm unsure about what STEM is and what STEM isn't, and how I can integrate it into my subject areas. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people. Um, Are you primary or high school? A lot school? of people. A, a lot of people have. I, I'm I'm in the high school setting, right? 
Um, and it's some of the things that a lot of people sort of suffer from when they sort of, you know, um, the government and, you know, social media and other, you know, other, other areas are always throwing, you know, STEM coding, you know, this is the, you know, this is the way of the future. And when you're a teacher that doesn't teach that, you think, oh, well, what about my subject? Is my yeah. subject not important anymore? No. Um, my son's high school, my son's geography teacher does an awesome job at integrating STEM. He, um, he uses drones. Yeah. Um, he uses 3D printing. He was talking, he was doing, oh, well, I don't know what the subject was. Well, maybe that was his science teacher. Somebody was trying to, they were trying to build a bike that you would pedal to power a toaster. That must have been science teacher, I think. Um, but with um, history, you could be getting kids to, rather than just research, like Tim when he was in his seven had to research all different historical artefacts on ancient Egypt. So rather than researching and writing about all of those, maybe select one and design it in Tinkercad and 3D print it and yep. 3D print a scale model or take look look at examine all the different artifacts and design your own. What would you have done if you were an ancient Egyptian person filling a tomb? What do you think they should have had? What and then write a story about it. Why, you know, why is that significant and make get them to make their own god or something, you know, those sorts of activities where they have to critically analyze what's been given to them and then make up their own. A bit like the tree octopus website. Have you seen that? No, I haven't, no. So Google the tree octopus website. That was a science lesson on classification and the the person who made it designed their own creature and it had a habitat and had all these things around it. Um, And there was a lot of debate apparently when it was done as to whether it was a pass or a fail because it wasn't a real creature. But the child's definitely demonstrated an understanding of scientific naming conventions, ecology, habitat, you know, threats to the environment, all sorts of things. So, and they made a website and now it's a false website. So you can use it as an example of is that a real creature, real website or not. So it's on, if you Google uh, tree octopus, it's like on the first page usually the results. So, um, yeah, but those sorts of bringing it in and making it real, you know, looking at if you're doing Egypt, what's the ancient pyramids, what's the maths around that? Getting a maths teacher to come and, you know, team teach with you and around the maths around the pyramids and how how are they divided? I saw some great 3D printed pyramids where they split open and you could see the whole structure of the tomb and the pyramid inside. So it was a model of the pyramids. So those sorts of things can be done. Um, but like I said, the hardest part is thinking of the project, so that it's relevant yeah. and you still achieve your outcomes. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing that sort of um, that, that might put people off is the um, the uh, I guess the, the time uh, the time and resources needed to to come up with this initial project and mm. the setup. But it, I guess it's like it's like a lot of stuff mm. that once it's you know once you've done it. That's, that's it. it. You're, you're done. You yeah. you know you don't have to reinvent unless you know you go through and evaluate it. Obviously, and you reflect on it and you think, okay, what worked, what didn't work, and you you, you fix what didn't work. But yeah. if it's done well the first time, you don't have to reinvent it again the next no. the next year. No, you don't. And the thing is, because it's compulsory for students in every state with Australian curriculum, it's compulsory for students to learn coding to year eight. Uh, each other state has its own timeline. So in New South Wales, it will be compulsory from 2019 in tech mandatory. So each state, you, you need to investigate your um, 
where you're up to with the new syllabus. Uh, but because every child is required to learn coding, um, it's very easy for a non-computer faculty teacher to pick up something that requires coding and know that the students will have basics. And you just need to communicate with your computing faculty where they're up to with that. So, for example, uh, if you're going to get a, a group to make a poster or a PowerPoint presentation or a website, um, rather than do that, you might get them to make an interactive game using Scratch to test knowledge. So um, an example is in Year 7, my son was given a science poster he had to make on science lab rules. So instead of doing that, he made a Scratch game which tested his knowledge of science lab rules. So you could do the same thing with any topic area um, and it's quite easy to find games that are already written that you could modify. So I suppose for a teacher with no coding experience, maybe get some help or find a model and an exemplar and if the kids have no idea, you work with them with that exemplar, maybe get a computing teacher, some, some PD from a, your internal computing faculty, ask them for some assistance initially so that you can start to um, upskill yourself. Because in reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, 3D printing, um, all sorts of these STEM concepts are actually already in the real world. Archaeologists are already using drones and um, to, to explore archaeological sites because then they don't have to walk on the site. They can fly over the top with cameras. Um, I went to a history exhibition at the Sydney Art Gallery last Christmas and we went into an empty room and the room had been mapped and when you put the iPad around, you saw an augmented version of what that cave looked like in China where it was found. So, you know, maybe getting a bit of augmented reality or virtual reality into your classroom, you're not touching coding then but that's something you can do on your phone with Google Cardboard or you know, different apps. Um, if you've got Microsoft, you might use a HoloLens or, you know, so there's lots of different things. And there's also lots of people on social media who uh, have the skills to to help and to refer you to websites and, you know, there's lots of free advice out there as well other than just the paid advice. Yeah, and, and, and that's something that I need to sort of look into for, for myself as well because I, I did – I did attempt or want to attempt a coding project last year. Um, I'm a bit lazy. I wanted to uh, code a little um, Raspberry Pi with a little um, sensor on it, a light sensor, that whenever there was something put into my pigeonhole in the staff room, it'll send me an email so I didn't have to get up and keep checking it <laughs> and taking a gamble of whether there was something there or not because the pigeonholes are about a 100-meter walk away from oh, where my desk is. Yeah, that's just way too and, far. <laughs> And in the end, I thought. In the end, I thought, you know what? This is this is too hard to 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 code. I installed the software, the Arduino software, and I thought, this is all a second language to me. Um, so I just sort of put it on the back shelf, and I thought, I'll, I'll you know, I'll deal with it one day. And that one day never came. So, um, I mean, I guess that's not really good for you know, you know, when you look at growth mindset. And I've sort of accepted the fail there, but that's something that I personally need to look in as well. I think Raspberry Pis are probably a difficult end to start it. I love the project idea. <laughs> um, might have to do it myself because mine's usually the one that's chockers jammed to the top because I haven't been and checked it probably for a similar reason. It's not something I walk past regularly. Um, 
but it's also where I store things I don't want. <laughs> if you give yes, me junk, it's a second, it's a second storage area. If you, yeah. if you give me junk mail, it will stay in my pigeonhole. Um, so that, but raspberry pies are probably a difficult place to start. Something like a makey makey is something probably an easier end. So makey makeys can be coated up with um, three blocks per point in scratch, and you and I teach those to you four. I have heard people using them in stage one. Um, but I would probably start with them in, in stage two. And then you by the time they get to year eight and year nine, they should have come across scratch it, now, by now, because I know this year's year nine at our school, I taught scratch in year five. So they, they should have come across scratch and the idea of block coding by the time they're in stage five by now. Um, if they're coming from schools where the primary schools have been teaching coding, it's possible they're not. But for three blocks, you can tr- trigger a point which is um, generated, we, will generate a sound or a recording. And an example of how you could use that is you could um, medieval history, you've got to make a poster with um, peasants and wealthy people and what's the differences between them and you put a split pin on each area of um, the project and then when you touch the split pin and um, like a starting point, so to complete the circuit, it will play a recording of the food or of their clothes. Or um, and re- And I actually have that project that I could share to you if you wanted to have a look at it. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll be great. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll um, if it's a link, I'll, I'll add it as a um, a link to the comment here on the uh, podcast when it goes up as an episode. Okay, so I have that project that's already done, and that could be modified to be any topic, anything, and you could change that instead of using a poster. It might be a board game. Make a board game that demonstrates your knowledge of such and such. But as you get more skills, more coding skills, and as students start to develop. Um, which is going to take time, then you can start to incorporate things like micro bits or Raspberry Pis or Arduinos. Um, It might be that it's a combined project. A lot of schools do um, project-based learning now and if they're not doing it already, there's a lot of schools talking about doing it, including public schools where I've seen quite successful projects, cross-faculty projects. And if history was to join in with the computing faculty, then there's extra time for the kids to work on their coding p- component and then in history you work on the history component and you work together to build something that is um, a real project, you know. There's lots of great ways you can integrate, whether it be purposely cross-faculty or whether you just use those concepts in your own faculty. And I, I think the bottom line here is STEM isn't isn't a fad, I don't think. Oh, no, um, it's not a fad. It's, you know, you hear the you hear VR and AR and AI and hear all these different letters being thrown around and you hear coding and people think oh it'll be gone in a year or two people will get sick of it and it'll just be gone but it's it's not a fad this is something that this is here to stay it's definitely here to stay and it's I think it's very difficult for teachers who haven't chosen to go into technology as a career path to get their head around what they have to teach now and how they're going to do it and I I really do get that because. Um, as a generalist teacher, I feel the same when I'm put into a classroom and I'm asked to teach something that I'm not comfortable teaching, you know, PE. <laughs> you yeah. put the technology teacher into a PE classroom and you watch them flounder. So um, it's 
I, I really do get that. But I think you'll find if you look through the syllabus um, in New South Wales from K to 10 across history, geography, math, science and English, there are over 600 outcomes that relate to technology use and ICT, ICT capabilities and computational thinking already without new syllabus coming out. That's the existing syllabus. And I think if every teacher goes in and actually really critically analyzes their own syllabus, they will see references to technology, but what they'll see often what it is in New South Wales is an or. Do this or do it this way. Uh, the difference is that our, those syllabus were often written a long time ago and mm -hmm. or is no longer an option. It, it, it isn't optional anymore. And if there's teachers still using read pages 20 to 25 and do the questions on page 30, that's that's a really boring way to teach a subject that you're passionate about because you wouldn't be a history teacher if you weren't passionate about history. Yeah. You know, well, not only that, but that, that textbook would, be, would have been out of date by the time it got printed with the uh, the rapid growth, uh, the rapid expansion of technology anyway. Yeah. So what about I, I heard a fantastic project um, in a public school in Newcastle area where they had a medieval day but it was actually run as an orientation day for, for their incoming Year 7 but the medieval day required all of the students to do all this planning to run their medieval day. So that's almost like it was immersion really in what yeah. is medieval world like and how exciting would that be for kids who really find it difficult to read a textbook and digest and then just write answers um exactly you know and i think it's it's really really important that if you're passionate to be passionate about something to go and study it further and then do it as your job you need to express that passion and um to do that it's real let's let's build a model of a trebuchet <laughs> How are we going to, yeah. you know, how does the trebuchet actually work? Well, let's build one, even if um, it's a tabletop version, you know, get some paddle pop sticks and some rubber bands and build a cattle pop. And there's numerous YouTubes um, of how to build them. And we built one at home and I videoed my son doing his 13 when you did it. And he built a model of a catapult, took it to school and they flung lollies across the classroom <laughs> with the catapult so how do you get a 13 year old boy engaged in your history <laughs> lesson yeah exactly you build yeah. a weapon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the risk assessment <laughs> would, would that be it was amazing that it was made of paddle pop sticks yeah you know and um something simple it was really simple so and simple the, the whs was a hot glue gun and you can go through a whs procedure uh, they should have already done one in their computing faculty on how to use a hot glue gun, you just need to com communicate with that faculty and say, "Has your have these kids in tech mandatory completed the required safety for that?" And if they haven't, inquire with your school about running your own. And it would be something like wear gl wear gloves when using the hot glue gun. Make sure that you put the hot glue gun down on a, on non burning surface. Uh, make sure you're not doing it in a carpeted area. You know those sorts of things. You might do it outside because of fumes. Those sorts of things would go into your risk assessment. But in our school, they have to do an online safety test at the beginning of the year in Year Seven and Eight to cover simple um, tools used in the workshop. Yeah, and the hot glue guns, one of them. So it should already be done. 
So if you right. just, you just find out from your computing faculty what they've done and what they haven't, and then you remind them before you use it. Remember you did that in computing? Well, the same rules apply in history. Um, you know, it might be that you go to the woodwork room or the computing room if you can get that space to build it. Yeah. But um, I'm sure, and then and then your history around it would be get them to write a blog post or a journal entry or something about the use of the trebuchet and, you know, pretend they're a character in, in a space where the trebuchet or the catapult would have been used and write about the what would have happened and the weapons and, you know, the effect it had on all the people inside the castle and, you know, rather than reading about it in a textbook, they're writing their own. Yeah, there's so there's there's so many options available. There's so many things you can do. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's just taking that first initial step and and not being scared, no. um, or being put off by any potential workload. You know, the, the issue of workload as well. Of we've already That's got to right. do a million things. We don't That's want to right. add another thing and and, and do one more thing because that'll be just be too much then yeah that's right i mean it's it's also the politics of who owns the stuff and the budgeting for it so something made out of pot of pop sticks with hot glue guns is quite low tech and it's quite low cost whereas when you start implementing makey makeys if you haven't got if your school doesn't own them which a lot of high schools don't um the university of adelaide does have a lending library so i work for the university of adelaide three days and i'm a teacher two days so the University of Adelaide has a lending library and if your school has um, committed a reasonable number of student um, teachers to doing our online course, which teaches introductory coding and things like that, then you can actually borrow one of our kits for a whole term. So you can have Makey Makeys for a term or Spheros for a term. We have Little Bits and Arduinos and all sorts of things. So they're all free because it's government funded. I'll give you the link for that so you can put it in the references. But, yeah, that would be um, fantastic. Thank you very so much. So if, if you don't have these things, you can borrow them for a term and make sure you use them, like plan for it before you get them because I find some schools give the feedback, oh, we didn't have time. But if you've planned for it and you know you're going to have them in term two or term three, then you can um, then you can plan for it and do it, make sure you get it done. And that way you can then evaluate if that's something you would like to invest in. Um, because there's no point buying anything if it's not going to be used. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing that that I, I find happens in, in in many schools is they rush out to buy the latest, um, you know, the latest gadget, the latest piece of technology, but then it sits around gathering dust and never being used because either no one's been trained in how to use it, or they haven't actually thought of the pedagogy behind it. They've just saw, uh, you know, they just saw it as an opportunity to, to have the latest gadget, but don't know how to actually authentically integrate it in any subject area. Yeah. That's right. And so part of the University of Adelaide's um, program is they have one person like me in each state. So I'm the New South Wales project officer and each of us goes to schools and they we run workshops. So if you want something specific, we can introduce the course and then do some specific workshop on micro bits or on makey makeys or on spheros, whatever you're using. Um, and... You know, there's lots of applications for those technologies, but like you said, it's about having teachers that are interested to use them. And sometimes you'll find the interest comes from faculties which you don't expect, but they don't have access because the science department bought them, so therefore the science department owns them. Yeah. So yep. it's about the politics of 
accessibility for the device as well. So when they're purchased, you need to think, well, is this truly just a science tool or can we use it in other faculties and how are we going to timetable that? Yeah, of course. That's Yeah, that's a, that's a very... Um that's probably perhaps actually the, the the most important thing out of all of them is how can you actually collaborate as a whole school, not just within your own faculty and using the product. So not just how do teachers within the science faculty work with each other, but how do teachers from Kappa and Science and you know, mm. PDHPE and TAS and how they all work together as opposed to just in their own individual faculties. That's right. I mean, if so, if somebody has, um, if somebody is rather than. A, a faculty purchasing equipment maybe the library purchases the equipment maybe more money goes into the library and then everybody borrows from the library yeah you more know? of a communal pool yes and that way science might say well actually we want the lego robotics we want that for term one and for term two and because that's something you can't pull apart and share okay science you have it for six months anyone yep. else does computing faculty, do you want it for six months? You know, there's, you know, how are we going to share these resources? Because the biggest thing I hear going from school to school is in high schools is we can't access that because it's a maths department resource. Or, you yeah. know, that's the biggest thing I hear. So it's about rethinking the politics and how budgets are allocated and what is purchased for the school and what is purchased for a faculty, you know, um, even and anything it can apply to anything really paint it can apply history department generally as a rule doesn't doesn't buy paint but if you're building something that you want to present an expo then you would want access to paint you know and glue, yeah, exactly, and, hot, yeah. and hot glue guns and paddle pop sticks and all those sorts of things which are probably purchased by the computing or the art department how do you get access to that resource or do you have to buy your own out of your own budget which seems like a double double dip on the same things, you know. So, um, and history doesn't want to be storing those sorts of things and probably doesn't have the WHS around storing things like that. Yeah, I don't think any faculty really wants to use up their uh, their valuable space or budget to purchase things that might not be used. So I think there's also that element of, oh, we'll just borrow one from someone else's faculty because we don't want to have to, you know. That's right. But then store it or. Yeah, and that comes down to planning and making sure that you've informed the art department that you would really like to use paint and hot glue gun in term two and you will need access to it. So, And here's, maybe here's some money for it. Could you please buy it for us? And they store it for you and you just get to use their resources when yeah. you need it then. you know. So it's just about communication across faculty, which is something that people, you get caught up in your own day-to-day and don't think about how other things run. Um, so, but you do need to plan ahead as well. Yeah, right. Well, look, um, th- look. Thank you very much for um, for for chatting to us about how we can integrate STEM and Hass. Um, it's been really valuable. And I've got to say, I've I've definitely learned a lot in this um, in this um, in this chat here, just you know, very briefly as well. And that's that's something that will help me as well in my own professional um, professional learning as well. Looking into all these things and seeing how I can integrate it as well. Um, before we finish off, is there any, any final words you want to you add? Uh, well, like I said, we have the University of Adelaide has project offices in every state. So if they are interested, if teachers are interested in upskilling, all our workshops are free. So they might choose to attend one off-site at a public workshop or we can actually go to individual schools 
and you might facilitate a public workshop but because it's on site you can you know send more of your own teachers or a lot of schools run them after school and interested people can come after school and get some skills in using digital technologies in their classroom Um, while that is only the T in STEM that's actually the stumbling block for a lot of people the T is the technology and how do I use that so um, but I really like to encourage people to consider the mathematics and the science around in inside history because there is so much you know in war what comes out of war when we have um, a war we get we get things like the internet they come at GPS, all the uh, artificial limbs being, you know, all these technology gets invented because of war and then we get to use it in our everyday life. So there's lots and lots of technology and STEM that's in, invented in history um, and then rolled out to everyday people. So, um, yeah, so if people wanted to have some, if people wanted to have some PD for free, they can contact us and, um we can organise times and workshops. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Meredith. That's okay. It was great to be here. Thank you. Hopefully we can speak soon in uh, in another episode and, and take the, the, the discussion about STEM and Huss further. Yeah, great. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HussChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. eon.net.au